Welcome to the Chesapeake Connect podcast. I'm Tom Hall. Chesapeake Connect is an annual learning trip that brings together leaders from around Baltimore to explore best practices and programs in a peer region. It's organized by the Baltimore Metropolitan Council. That's the Council of Governments serving Greater Baltimore. The council has organized trips to Cleveland, New Orleans, and Nashville in recent years. Today on the Chesapeake Connect podcast, we're talking about the role of the Baltimore region and especially our universities in the hunt for a COVID-19 vaccine. We're also talking about vaccine development in general and the effect that it has on our regional economy. I'm joined by Tom Sadowski. He's the Vice Chancellor for Economic Development for the University System of Maryland. He was appointed by Chancellor Emeritus Robert L. Caret in 2016, the first person to serve in this role. Tom Sadowski is Governor Hogan's appointee to the Baltimore Metropolitan Council, and he participated in the 2017 and the 2019 Chesapeake Connect programs. Tom Sadowski, welcome to the Chesapeake Connect podcast. Thank you, Tom. Pleasure to be here. And we are also joined by Dr. Bruce Gerald. He's the president of the University of Maryland, Baltimore. Before his appointment as president, Dr. Gerald served as chief academic and research officer, senior vice president, executive vice president, and the dean of the graduate school. Leadership from University of Maryland, Baltimore, participated in the 2018 and 2019 Chesapeake Connect programs. Dr. Gerald, welcome to you as well. Thank you, Tom. It is my pleasure to be here, and I look forward to the conversation. Well, we do, too, and let's jump right in with you, Dr. Gerald. Um, You've guided the university's efforts to cope with the COVID-19 pandemic since March of 2020, when it began to take hold in the United States. Take us back to the early days of the pandemic. What were your immediate concerns uh, for the university, and how did you address them at that time? Well, it, it, it's it's not a simple answer because there were multiple things hitting on me at the same time. But but the most vivid memory that I have is that I got sent a text from a colleague uh, who's an ICU person uh, in Italy. And I began reading what he was saying on the text about how there were people lined up in the halls, that uh, COVID had been overwhelming their medical resources there, uh, and that... Uh, uh, you all should be aware of this and look out because it's coming. And when I first read it, I said, is this a believable text or is somebody sending me a, a fake text to get a response out of me? The, the next morning, uh, I was able to confirm uh, that, in fact, this was very much true. Uh, and, and seeing what had happened uh, in Italy very much uh, affected my responses um, in, in the sense that uh, first of all, this was serious. Don't be kidding yourself. Uh, second of all, that that UMB has a big community, a big chunk of its community will be taking care of this. So I need to think about them. And then a big chunk of our community, particularly the faculty, staff, and students who do not give clinical care, uh, will have to will have to change the way we function as a university. So, so that one text. Um, got my antenna up, uh, and I think it helped me to respond to it in a very rapid uh, way um, to act responsibly because um, this was a serious thing. Uh, so those those are my immediate memories, Tom. 
Yeah, and uh, Tom Sadowski, uh, same question to you. I mean, in your role as Vice Chancellor for Economic Development at the University System of Maryland, when the pandemic started, what were your priorities at that time? Um, priorities at that time were really the relationships that we helped to nurture and maintain, and uh, not only with our research partners, but with a lot of the startups that we are um, responsible for helping nurture the growth and, and uh, retention of it. First and foremost was to make sure a lot of those partners were aware of all the support that was going to be available to them to keep them going and to sustain the relationships, whether research or otherwise, uh, that were ongoing. Um, you know, whether it was from the state of Maryland or from the federal government to try to be a liaison uh, to those support agencies to make sure those business relationships that we've worked so hard to cultivate in the community could be sustained. And, and then we kind of transitioned uh, to a point where, you know, we really wanted to make sure our experts and our, um, our key people were engaged in the fight. So uh, we worked to create opportunities for our students and faculty uh, to engage in a way where, you know, we offered seed grants and we sponsored uh, challenges um, to help come up with waves and innovative solutions to share uh, public health information, spread awareness for treatment and testing uh, resources that might be available in the community. Um, we also uh, wanted to spread awareness of uh, detection capabilities where we could actually identify COVID that may be present in, or present in schools or research facilities public spaces, or even in the workplace. So really trying to bring to bear all that the system had to offer uh, in the fight against COVID, that was that was the main, how do we get that started? How do we uh, inspire that kind of action and really do it to the greatest effect possible? And uh, we really, terrific response from the business community uh, in, in support of those efforts. So those were our main um, activities at the beginning and midpoints through the uh, pandemic. Yeah, and Dr. Gerald, as as Tom Sadowski makes clear, the fight against COVID-19 took place on many different fronts. It's not all just about, you know, vaccines, for example. Um, but in your role, in addition to the challenges that are, you know, multiple, uh, even without a pandemic, uh, but you have the challenge of running a major university during a pandemic. But you also have oversight uh, over one of the largest research institutions in the country. So what has the University of Maryland Baltimore's role been uh, in fighting coronavirus? Well, the, the first would be a preface to that comment. That the first thing we did was to make sure that uh, all of our people were as safe as we could uh, make them while still being able to perform important parts of their job. And so we kind of had a... a, a a concern about our clinicians because they were going to be on the front lines. But then we had this big research program, uh, as you're talking about. And, and when you think of research, you shouldn't just think of test tubes in a lab. Um, you, you should think all the way up to translating that to potentially a useful intervention, a medical vaccine or something else, a medication, all the way up to clinical trials, actually putting whatever the, the test element is into a human and make sure that it's working as we think it should. Uh, and so we have a big apparatus here and perhaps people don't always appreciate just how broad the apparatus here is in, at UMB. 
So we did have a basic science a coronavirus laboratory. It functions in what's called a biosafety lab three, which means the level of security in that lab is quite high. Security so that the people there don't get infected and security such that it doesn't leak out or whatever. And so we have a very sophisticated program in coronavirus. And we were one of the first labs to actually receive uh, some of the samples uh, from China and, and begin to work on those in the lab to understand them. But the other component that's really quite large at UMB is our uh, virology. And we have two virology programs. One is, is the Institute for Human Virology, um, more focused on HIV. And the second is the Center for Vaccine Development. The CVD, we call it, has been here for well over 40 years. Uh, and has been committed to vaccine development and testing in the field uh, during that period of time. So at any one time in CVD, you have everything from the basic discovery of whether we could make a vaccine for a particular organism up to how do we get that into a form that's safe to test, to testing it in animals, then testing it in humans, and then testing it in very large field trials. Uh, for example, uh, in other countries outside the U.S. And so there's a lot of sophistication uh, in, in uh, doing the wide range of, of vaccinology, you would call that, um, in, in our labs. And so we already had world experts uh, on some of these viruses, and, and a number of our people have been very involved at a state and national level to advise that the federal government to advise Governor Hogan and others. So we've been very involved in it. And, that, and that's just the research part. That doesn't get to the other parts. Yeah, and there are many other parts to be sure. And so Tom Sadowski, um, as Dr. Gerald's made clear, uh, you know, 40 years, this is decades prior to the COVID-19 outbreak, the Center for Vaccine Development uh, at UMB, uh, has been, uh, you know, doing important work. And the work that Maryland's universities have taken on uh, has always been a major economic driver for the state of Maryland as well. Can you put this work into some kind of economic context for us? I mean, what kind of jobs does this work bring to the region? Uh, what does it mean uh, for the people and uh, employees and employers in our region? Absolutely. Uh, thanks for that question. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a very proud story that we like to tell. I mean, much due to the work that Bruce is doing there at University of Maryland, Baltimore, and the collaborations uh, and the partnership that they've uh, engaged in with uh, our flagship at College Park. You know, the system is now ranked fourth in the country amongst public research institutions for the work that it does. And that's significant um, when you look at. Uh, the things that they're engaged in on a day-to-day -day basis. Annually, uh, we conduct more than $1.5 in sponsored R&D, which generates another $2 billion in economic activity throughout the state of Maryland. That's more than 11,500 jobs. More than half of those are in the Baltimore region. And those jobs pay significant salaries, well over six figures. Um, it's a billion dollars in wages and over $40 million per year in revenue back to the state of Maryland. So that's a significant uh, contribution to the state's economy uh, year on and year out. So for the Baltimore area, it, it's made a tremendous impact. Again, UMB's um, involvement in this work is um, well 
you know, well-recognized. And um, they've created a research park community on the west side in their biopark that houses new startups and they're developing new technologies. It's helped to attract venture capital investment and major corporate investment in some of those startups. And uh, those companies have, have set up shop there in Baltimore. Um, overall, it, it just makes a significant contribution to the state's economy. Uh, the Milken Institute, uh, for instance, in their annual review of state economies, it places Maryland as number one in the development of science and technology workforce, and number two in terms of research and development inputs. So uh, UMB, UMBC uh, there in, um, in Catonsville, they're big parts of that um, system research enterprise. And it's helping to drive the, the state's economy, not only on an annual basis, but into the foreseeable future. Yeah, and as Dr. Freeman Nebraska of uh, UMBC, for example, makes clear every time he's given the opportunity, uh, Dr. Kizmikia Corbett, who was very involved in the development of the Moderna COVID vaccine, is a UMBC graduate. Uh, he's very proud of that as well. He should be. And Dr. Ergerl, vaccine research, as you mentioned, is certainly nothing new uh, at UMB. You've got decades of experience. Give us a sense of the kind of work that was happening, you know, up to this point. I mean, and, and how it has informed uh, moving forward to find solutions to the COVID problem. Well, the, the virology program, the CVD, really started with uh, Dr. Mike Levine, who traveled particularly to Chile uh, and Mali in Africa uh, to understand some of the epidemics that they were having uh, across a, a wide variety of diseases, including things like cholera, and then brought those findings back to be able to study them and to understand the basic um, ways that these organisms were spreading. Uh, but to give you a good example that's more recent, the Ebola virus, uh, we were intimately involved with, with the WHO in understanding that. And the, the first candidate for a uh, vaccine uh, for Ebola, uh, part of the studies were actually done here in Baltimore uh, in our biopark. Uh, to be able to understand uh, about the uh, vaccine that was set up for that, and and you know that there were vac that there were viruses that followed that, uh, Zika being one, Chikamanga, which is one you probably haven't heard of. We were again very involved with. So so basically, wherever there's an outbreak of a virus, typically our CVD is involved, and I would add, so is our Institute for Human Virology involved. Uh, so we we keep a high level of, of, um, of interaction with the viral community, the virology community, uh, to understand what's going on and see how we can channel resources that we have here at UMB, particularly the School of Medicine, uh, to attack these problems. And Tom Sadowski, um, you know, you mentioned the high rankings that so many institutions here in our state enjoy when it comes to this kind of research. Um, looking long term, how do you see vaccine research in particular fit into the long-term plans for the university system? Well, I mean, the true value of our research and our work in this area is the overall benefit to the human condition, as our chancellor, um, Jay Perman, likes to point out frequently. But specifically um, to our region, you know, the benefit's gonna come in the form of more government investment and support of our research enterprise, the sustained attraction of the best and brightest researchers, faculty, and students 
to the region because of the great work and transformational work that goes on here. Um, the continued attraction of venture capital investment uh, in, our, in the startups that we create and the new job creation that results um, from those new ventures being um, uh, put into the marketplace and uh, into our communities. And the community impact is really something that, that's important over time because you know, we're already seeing it as, as uh, uh, Bruce and I had mentioned on the west side of Baltimore, but the amount of increased public and nonprofit investment in the communities that surround uh, these facilities, our institutions, these are the uh, projects that house all this activity. And it's already helping to create a formidable life science and bio community response. And it's, that's just poised for exponential growth. Uh, Baltimore in particular, uh, as we mentioned, the West Side is a thriving community now where there are companies that are dedicated to the development of medical devices, therapeutics, and bioproduction related technologies. Um, and these startups are just getting tremendous report, uh, support from the private sector and the corporate community. So uh, we expect that work to continue and it's gonna drive um, a rise in economic activity and job creation, not just in Baltimore, but throughout the region and the state. So um, this whole unfortunate pandemic, you know, we found the opportunity amidst the challenge and it's to really leverage the great work that we're doing, I think for maximum benefit to the community and, and as I had said at the opening to the human condition. And Dr. Gerald, um, we are certainly by no means uh, on the other side of COVID uh, yet as we speak here in the spring of 2021, but it does seem like we are making leaps and bounds of progress. Um, we've getting, we're getting more and more people vaccinated and uh, you know the, the shift is uh, away from um, a, a pandemic that we think is going to be completely debilitating both uh, as a public health measure as well as an economic measure. But um, your university is health and public service focused. Uh, what do you see the UMB's role going forward uh, when we truly are in a post-pandemic world? Thank you, Tom. Well, I think that the first assumption is we have to get in a post-pandemic world. And uh, I think all of the signs have been very positive. Uh, and I'm pleased to see uh, uh, some advances in terms of fewer restrictions, et cetera. But I'll still be the circumspect physician and say to you, but this virus has fooled us over and over again. Uh, and so in part, I think we still have to have high vigilance. We can lower our restrictions, but we need to watch this very closely. Uh, and if there's any indication it's going in the wrong direction to react in a, in a responsible manner. In terms of UMB, um, I think there's a couple of, of things that you'll see happen uh, relative to UMB. Uh, one is we will continue and undoubtedly expand our basic research in virology, particularly coronavirus, but not limited to coronavirus. That's what it happened to be this time. Uh, Dr. Kathy Newsel in the CVD has a, a very large federal grant looking at influenza. Uh, and I think you'll continue to, to be wary of influenza because influenza did this 100 years ago, uh, practically wiped out our population. It didn't wipe it out, but it had a huge impact on it. So I think we'll continue to do the basic science, but we'll also continue 
to be very involved in, in the translation of this science into practical um, uh, issues. For example, many times people have said to me, um, why, why do you have programs in Africa? Uh, aren't there enough of, of sick people or problems here in Baltimore to deal with? And the answer is in part because we care about the people in Africa as well, but also because that's where you see these new emerging uh, infections, not just Africa, but certainly in Africa. Uh, and that gives us a heads up as to what might be next uh, and to focus our attention uh, on that. The, the one other thing I think that has to come into the vocabulary is a term called preparedness. Um, I won't say we weren't prepared for this pandemic, but we certainly weren't prepared for the extensiveness and the scope, the effect that it had on everybody. And one of the things that we've learned is that having a powerful research uh, university allows you to pivot the research parts of the university to being addressed to address things of immediate public need. And in fact, we have done that on several occasions during COVID of taking a, a basic science program and, and putting it in the position of serving the public. Uh, so that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a special um, kind of skill to be able to do that. And we need to make sure that we keep those kinds of skills uh, active uh, at UMB. Yeah, and Tom Sadowski, uh, back to the economic dimension of the pandemic, um, it's certainly had an uneven impact uh, on various segments in the economy. You mentioned um, what's going on on the west side of Baltimore in terms of medical research and biotech, et cetera. And so those kinds of industries are thriving. But uh, if you look at the hospitality industry, the restaurant industry, hotels, uh, they have certainly been hit uh, in a very serious way. So anchor institutions, you know, like public universities, have economic ties with, you know, just about every sector of the economy. What role can these anchor institutions like public in universities play in an economic recovery? Well, I think a lot of it goes to what Bruce had just mentioned. It, it's, you know, setting ourselves up to be prepared to pivot when needed. Um, and, um, uh, April of 2020, much due to Bruce's leadership and the Chancellor uh, Daryl Pines, the president of University of Maryland College Park, and Dr. Hrabowski at UMBC, they they um, kind of guided efforts to create a COVID research and innovation task force. And through that task force that I'm pleased to serve on, along with Dr. Laurie Lacasio, who's vice president of research for both UMB and College Park, um, we we are we brought together our colleagues from within the system to discuss the various areas of need and expertise uh, and connect those with um, interests and needs in the greater business community and civic community so that we've established relationships where we're having an ongoing dialogue about the needs uh, in the communities, what we're seeing, what the opportunities are to take advantage of. But, you know, job one for the system, I mean, well, I didn't get the chance to cover this, but we're the economic or the uh, workforce engine of the state of Maryland. We graduate over 40,000 um, professionals every year, 12,000 in the area of STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. And the vast majority stay in Maryland to pursue their careers. So first of all, we have to make sure we continue to do that work and that we are preparing um, 
not only our students, but working with the public schools, the K through 12 system and the community colleges to make sure our future generations and our adult learners are getting the skills they need to participate in this economic recovery. We're working with industry to understand the jobs that are becoming available, what the skills are required to be successful in accessing these opportunities. And we're delivering on the programming uh, necessary to make sure those skills are in place. Um, we wanna make sure as many people as possible can participate in the economic recovery. And sometimes that means uh, jobs that don't require um, college degrees. So what are those skills necessary that we can help our community college partners and our K through 12 partners? How can we help provide those skills uh, so that people can get those jobs, can participate in the economy and the jobs that are being created in the post pandemic world? And oftentimes, you know, those jobs are providing family supporting income and uh, livelihoods that can help sustain a four-year degree experience. So a lot of times, a lot of the work that we're doing with industry and our education partners, we're not only helping get people to work and get them the skills they need to participate in this post-pandemic era, but hopefully we're setting them up uh, with an opportunity to pursue a career uh, and that um, enables them to uh, get a four-year degree and uh, master's or maybe even a PhD uh, if desired. But, you know, it's really... Uh, making sure that the communities that have been hardest hit, that they have access to the opportunities uh, that exist today, post-pandemic. So that means working together again with all of our education partners and industry partners to make sure we're um, helping folks get the skills necessary to participate in this uh, economy. It's such an important point that, you know, the tree of this economic recovery has to grow high and wide. It really does have to include everybody. And um, Dr. Gerald, you mentioned the importance of preparedness and, and that lesson learned uh, in terms of this pandemic. Um, talk a little bit more about that. Um, what do you think uh, we have learned uh, dealing with this particular uh, coronavirus that will be uh, you know, vital in, in preparing for the next pandemic? Well, it's funny you ask that question, Tom, because the first and the biggest thing we've learned is that the uh, the newly evolved, although it's not that new, it's it's at least a decade old. The uh, mRNA vaccine constructs have been tremendously uh, uh, useful in developing uh, a vaccine rapidly, uh, and will continue to be a useful method for evolving the vaccine as the virus evolves, et cetera. So one thing we've learned is, is basic research and understanding how to develop things like vaccines have been tremendously valuable in, in cutting a valuable time off the development of a particular vaccine. And, and uh, you, you mentioned Dr. Corbett uh, from uh, Dr. Hrabowski's UMBC, and she played a major role in this mRNA vaccine construct. So we've learned that. Uh, a, a second thing we've learned is what I'm gonna call unified command. So one of the first things that happened between UMB and the medical center, UMMC, was that we developed a single person command structure for both the university uh, and the medical center. 
Now think about that for a minute, Tom. We took a not-for-profit corporation, UMMC, and basically had it work hand in glove with a state university, a state entity, so to speak, uh, and so that all of our policies, procedures, uh, actions, et cetera, although they weren't identical, they were harmonized, we were speaking with a single voice. It was like a military precision kind of operation. So a second thing we've learned is the power of partnership here, that you can really get potent partnerships that make you operate much better than you could have as separate entities. And by the way, that happened not just with UMMC and uh, UMB, but there was also a partnership with Hopkins relative to setting up the convention center and many other such opportunities. So a second thing we've learned is partnerships are really important, particularly to get started early. A third thing that I think we've learned, and this does go directly to um, uh, prevention, pandemic preparedness as well, uh, is that when you have a, a you know a half a billion dollar a year operation in basic research, there's a lot of special capability there. And among those capabilities uh, starting off for us was the capability to actually do the PCR testing uh, for COVID. And you'll recall a time back in March or April when nobody had a test for that. Uh, and yet we were able to take a, a basic science lab. And, and when I say we take, they volunteered, they thought this was critical. Uh, and turn it in the direction with all of the rules and regulations that we had to undertake and follow to be able to test a wide uh, group of the population. So that program went from almost zero to being able to do a max of 13 or 14,000 tests a day. And in fact, we did hit that number. Uh, we're, we're over 800,000 PCR tests for COVID today. Uh, that would have been very difficult to start from scratch with, without such basic science capabilities sitting there. So part of pandemic preparedness also means making sure you understand your research capabilities and how that could be turned in, in a uh, public health direction. Yeah, and it's, it's not just the basic science, of course, but as you say, this willingness to collaborate, that's been, I think, one of the most inspirational dimensions of this pandemic, uh, we're seeing, you know, collaboration literally from uh, researchers and, and some great, great minds around the world. Um, when it comes to collaborating, uh, of course, the Baltimore Metropolitan Council sponsors these trips to uh, places like Cleveland and Nashville. And Tom Sadowski, you took uh, both of those trips. Uh, talk about that experience. Uh, you know, you, you uh, were there as part of a, a group from Baltimore that went to these peer cities to see what they were doing. Uh, what stands out to you uh, about uh, the takeaways that you came back with from those trips? Those trips are terrific. Um, they're always a great uh, opportunity to kind of network amongst the, the group from um, Baltimore that, that goes, but we always learn so much. Um, you know, the importance of planning, collaboration amongst stakeholders, the power of partnership as we've discussed, um, and the need for community cohesion, um, you know, the, getting the community together behind the key priorities of, of any region, the things that they're challenged with and the opportunities that they see. Often, however, um, the most important lesson that we derive from these trips 
it's an appreciation for the tremendous assets that we already have here at home um, in the Baltimore area and the possibilities that are within our reach if we work together. Um, I mean, Bruce alluded to it with the partnership discussion. I mean, day, you know, week one, day one after the pandemic really uh, hit stride, um, we started convening um, almost daily leadership calls and sharing, you know, information and uh, challenges that we were facing. And that kind of collaborative sharing of best practices and, and intel was crucial in, in responding. And I think that um, it, it really, I think, set us up as a system to help inspire that kind of collaboration in the broader community. And um, I think as we go on future trips, you know, that'll be an example that we can share with other other cities, other regions, and how we work together to respond to this challenging, most challenging of times. And Dr. Gerald, um, obviously, a scientist, a physician like yourself, you have a network of colleagues from literally around the world. You mentioned your colleague from Italy who gave you an early uh, alert to the seriousness of this pandemic and folks in your profession often go to conferences and they uh, publish in journals and share their work uh, widely. It's interesting um, that a university would be part of these Chesapeake Connect trips. Uh, UMB sent senior leadership leadership on two of the Chesapeake Connect trips. Um, you have your relationship with Baltimore, but what do you think you learned as a as an institution, an anchor institution here in Baltimore, uh, from going on these trips to different cities? Well, some of the some of the responses would be what Tom already mentioned, but but I would say we have a thirst for best practices, and wherever we can find best practices, uh, particularly as an anchor institution, which is a very difficult. Uh, topic to make sure you're being as excellent as you can. So anything we can learn in that way helps us uh, help our own university, help our city of Baltimore, and certainly our West Baltimore community. So we very much want to look at that. But the other thing I think that comes out in things like that is, is how you encourage innovation, entrepreneurism, small business development, uh, et cetera, in the community. And and when we first started our biopark, before we did that, I remember that Jim Hughes went around the country to a number of places to learn what was the best way to do it, how did you construct a board, uh, what was the board's set of responsibilities, et cetera. So you learn a lot from that, and you establish colleagues for life, which allows you to pick up the phone and call somebody and say, hey, I saw you in Cleveland when we visited. Um, we've got this new situation. I remember you mentioned that, uh, and suddenly you've got a resource that otherwise you'd have to be hunting hard for. So those make connections. They form a network, which again, for a big place like this, networks are very, very important. Indeed, and, and everybody that I've spoken to in this podcast series uh, says something very similar to that. The connections, the the uh, the network expansion that everybody enjoys, uh, and uh, as you say, uh, it's just going to aid and abet the uh, the search for best practices. Dr. Bruce Gerald is the president of the University of Maryland, Baltimore. And Dr. Gerald, thanks so much for joining us here on the Chesapeake Connect podcast. Well, thank you for having me, Tom. A delightful discussion, an important one. Indeed. Tom Sadowski is the Vice Chancellor for Economic Development for the University System of Maryland. Thanks to you as well, sir. Appreciate your being on the show. Thanks again, Tom, for the opportunity. 
The Chesapeake Connect podcast is produced by the Baltimore Metropolitan Council with assistance from WYPR. Please subscribe to our podcast on whatever podcasting app you use and give us a rating if you're so inclined. It helps other listeners find out about our show. The Baltimore Metropolitan Council works collaboratively with our region's elected executives to identify mutual interests and develop collaborative strategies, plans, and programs that improve our quality of life and economic vitality. BMC's member jurisdictions include Baltimore City and Anne Arundel, Baltimore, Carroll, Harford, Howard, and Queen Anne's counties. For more information, come on over to baltometro.org. Our producer is Mark Gunnery. On our next episode of the Chesapeake Connect podcast, we'll be talking about the branding of Baltimore and tourism with Baltimore City Mayor Brandon Scott and Al Hutchinson, the president and CEO of Visit Baltimore. So we'll see you the next time. I'm Tom Hall. Thanks for connecting.